I need to share this uh, before I get into the word. A lot of you know the Stevenson family. The Stevensons have been part of our congregation for the last six years. They've been almost from the get-go part of this congregation. Harry has been on the board, and Vicky has helped, always helped out with the uh, children's church. Uh, they've been dear friends of, of uh, ours and with a number of other people. Um, they have a little boy named Matthew who is just a, a rambunctious, brilliant, fun-loving kid who loves God. Uh, he helped out in the children's church a lot. He did all the magic shows for the kids and taught lessons and what, what, whatnot. Um, yesterday, they were on their way to some relatives uh, up north, and they were in a car accident. And um, Matthew was killed in that, that car accident. A 13-year-old boy was thrown from the car and was killed instantly. So I have a very heavy heart um, here this morning, as, as do a lot of other people who know about this and the pastoral staff. I spent the day yesterday at the hospital with the family. And um, it gets tough in this war zone, folks. This is, not, this is not the creation God originally intended the creation to be. And I don't think it ever gets tougher than with the loss of a child. I think that's, this is as, as tough as it gets. And the grief is intense and the sorrow is is sometimes uh, more than you can bear. It's emotionally draining. I, I'm emotionally exhausted right now. Uh, and I'm just going to say that out loud. I'm not going to try to be anything other than what I am. And that's where I'm at. Um, but in the midst of it, I want to say this. That I am so thankful that I know who God is. I'm so thankful that Matthew, in his 13-year-old way, knew who God was. This is a kid who used to get excited about talking about the second coming. Uh, a great kid. He was a great kid. He had him over at our house a lot, and he'd play with my boy, and um, he was just a gem. I'm so thankful that he knew who the Lord was. I'm so thankful that Vicky and Harry and their two other daughters know who the Lord is. And as sad as this is, it is grief. It is, it is grief. There's no pretty way to paint this. But I was able to walk in, walked into the room, and, um, and Vicky is getting all stitched up. She's in pretty bad shape. She was thrown from the car, too. And uh, uh, the first word out of his mouth is, Matthew's gone. And I was able to just assure her that it's not forever. It's not forever. Um, and I thank God for that. If I didn't know who the Lord was, if they didn't know who Jesus Christ was, if it were not for the truth that we know to be real uh, on that first Christmas morning, amen, if we didn't know that, that uh, he has gone to every extent possible to live with us forever, that, that this life is just a preliminary, preparatory, probationary stage, uh, if I didn't know that, if the Stevensons didn't know this, this would, be, this would be unbearable. It would be, Paul was right in 1 Corinthians 15 when he said, if, if this life is the only life we have hope in, then we are of all people most, most miserable. If there is no hope beyond this grave, then as far as I'm concerned, life is systematically wired for cruelty. Because I can't think of anything more cruel than being given a child like this than have him taken away. But to know, to see things from an eternal perspective, and to know that, that it's not permanent, that in fact you're going to be together again, that Matthew right now has gone on ahead of you, and he is enjoying the presence of God, and he's had the best Christmas possible. To know that, to be able to bring those words of comfort in the midst of the sad situation, it's still sad from our end. But praise God. There's joy at the end of it, and I thank God for that. Amen. I thank God for the end of it. I thank God for the meaning of Christmas. All right. 
But I hope that moves us on. Praise God. What I want to do is, uh, this morning, I, I wasn't sure even how I was going to go on uh, and, and how the Lord would move the message, uh, given what I wanted to say and given what has happened here and the situation in my heart right now. Um, but the Lord, in His own tender way, has just sort of tailored something that I want to share with you. I, this is the last sermon I'll be giving uh, this millennium. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's our last time together before the next millennium. Think about that. And it's it's a time for us to take inventory, and that's what I'd like to do here uh, this morning. I want to take inventory. I want us to just sort of reflectively look at the past, reflectively look at the future, and reflectively look at our present, and ask where are we and where are we going. That's what I want to do. I want to talk about the three tenses of life, the past, the future, and the present. I have a couple scriptures I want to read just to get us, us thinking about it. And I will be weaving in a little bit, I think, of, of this uh, situation with the Stevensons as I'm going along. The first passage is from Psalms. <coughs> Psalms, chapter 106. And this passage has to do with the past. <coughs> Excuse me. Where the author says this, starting with verse 7, Psalms 106, verse 7, he says, Our ancestors, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wonderful works. He's talking to the Lord here. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. The Israelites forgot something. They forgot something very important. They didn't remember the abundance of God's steadfast love, all the things that God had done for them. But rather, the author says, this is what it is to forget God's goodness and to not be thankful for God's goodness. It's an act of rebellion. They rebelled. They rebelled against the Most High at the Red Sea. It says something about what the Christian's attitude towards the past should be. I'll speak on that shortly. Then, In the book of John, the Gospel of John, we have a word that deals with the future. A word that is particularly precious to me right at this moment. John chapter 14, starting with verse 27. The Lord says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Peace I I leave with you. But not just any peace. Not just a temporary comfort. Not just a temporary leaving of the strife in your life. I give you my peace. What Jesus is saying there is the peace that characterizes himself. The peace that characterizes God Almighty. He takes it and he says, here, I want you to have my peace. It's conditioned upon nothing other than God being who God is. My peace I give to you. Notice that. And then he says this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not let them be afraid. The Lord knows that there's plenty of things that go on in this war zone that could trouble our hearts and that could make us afraid. But the Lord says, now that I've given you my peace, I don't want your hearts to be troubled and I don't want you to be afraid. You've heard me say to you, I am going away. And I am coming back for you. I'm going away, but you know what? It's not forever. It's not permanent. I'm coming back. If you love me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father. Praise God. And finally, the, the epistle of John, 1 John, the first epistle of John, chapter 4, verse 16, a, ver, a verse that is kind of familiar to most of us. And this deals with the present. I'm dealing with the past, pre- future, and present. And this verse says this. 
So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God. And God abides in them. Those who abide in love, they abide in God. The word abide means to live, to dwell in. Those who live in love live in God and God lives in them. Pray with me here for a moment. (coughs) Father, um, this isn't the sort of thing we anticipate around Christmas time or really, Lord, anticipate at any time. Uh, But God... um, Life has its turns, its winding roads, it has its ups and it has its downs, and uh, we can only take them as they come. And this is one of them, Lord. I pray, God, that, I pray, God, Lord, together, we first of all pray for the Stevenson family. Lord, and we pray that right now, that verse that I read, that you promised us, would be real to them. My peace I give unto you. Lord, would you take a chunk of your peace and right now just bathe them in it. Just bathe them in it. The peace that passes all understanding, Lord. Bask them in your love, Lord. Bask them in your peace, Lord. The peace that is there when answers are not there, Lord. The peace that is there even when our own son is not there, Lord. The peace that is there when there is no other comfort available, Lord. Would you bask them in your peace and in your comfort, Lord God. We pray for them as a church body. We come around them in the spiritual realm. And just, Lord, pray that, that, that you, your arms that we sing about here this morning would, would, would hug them so tight and bring comfort to them when nothing else can. And Lord, now for this message that will go out, Lord, we pray that it would be, have the anointing of the Holy Spirit on it and have your authority on it, Lord God. Use me, Lord God, in the capacity that I'm in right now to do your work, to spread your word, to, to, to form us to be people who think and who feel and who act like kingdom people, Lord. As we evaluate our past, as we look forward to the future, as we live in the present, Lord God, make us your kingdom people, we pray in your name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 I want to talk about the past. I want to talk about the future. I want to talk about the present. As we are wrapping up this year, wrapping up this decade, wrapping up this century, wrapping up this millennium, and getting ready to go into the, to the, the next one, it's a good time to take inventory. Ask some, uh, ask some poignant questions. So I want to ask the question, what should our perspective on our past be? What should our perspective on the future be? What should our perspective on the present be? A perspective, a perspective is your way of seeing. It's your way of looking at the world. None of us sees the world as it is in and of itself. We always see it skewed. We see it from an angle. We notice certain things and we forget other things. Certain things get highlighted as we look at the world, as we look at the past, as we look at the future. Certain things get highlighted. Certain other things get minimized. It's your way of looking at the world. It's the, the, it's the color glasses that you wear as you look at the world. This is your perspective. And the Bible has some things to teach us about what kind of perspective we ought to have on the past, on the, on the future, and on the present. Let's first talk about the past. What is your perspective on the past? When you think about your last year, or as you think about the last ten years, or however far back you want to go, what's your perspective on that? What's your perspective What you think about the past is far more important. How you remember the past is far more important than what actually happened in the past. What gets highlighted in your mind's eye? What gets raised up as sort of the paradigm? 
Well, what they've shown, and we all probably knew this intuitively, but research has borne it out, is that people, people who tend to be uh, uh, sad, who tend to be depressed, who tend to be miserable, tend to remember the past in a very negative light. They had good things happen to them like the rest of us, and they had bad things happen uh, to them like the rest of us, but what they remember, what gets highlighted, what gets neon signs around it, is the negative stuff. They remember the unfortunate things, the wrongs that were done to them. That's what they, it's brighter than the rest of the past as they remember it, and that is allowed to interpret all the other stuff, including the positive stuff. It becomes paradigms, and they, they think about that, they fixate on that. People who tend to be more optimistic, happier, uh, have a better disposition. They also had good things happen to them and bad things happen to them, like all of us do. But what gets highlighted in their mind's eye, what gets emphasized, what gets a frame around it, is the positive stuff, the successful stuff, the, the pleasant experiences. They remember those more brightly. They, of course, know that there were also bad times, and they remember those. But the good times uh, are allowed to interpret the bad times, not vice versa, as is the case with the first group. How you remember the past reflects and determines a lot about you. It's the same thing with couples. They've shown this. Couples that are happily married tend to uh, uh, remember more brightly uh, and rehearse for one another positive times they've had together. They remember the positive experiences. Now, of course, like everybody, they've had the negative times. They've gone through tough times, and they remember those too, but they don't, they don't uh, highlight those. They don't put neons, uh, neon lights around it. What gets emphasized are the good times that they have, they've had together, and they review those. And the positive experiences are allowed to inter- uh, reinterpret the negative experiences. Whereas couples that, that are not happily married, they tend to highlight, keep real close to, to the forefront of their mind's eye, the negative experiences that they've had. And they tend to review those with one another every time there's a new negative experience. They bring up the catalog of uh, bad experiences. And so it seems to them like it's always been bad and it always will be bad because that's what they remember. How you remember the past says a lot and determines a lot about who you are. So I want to ask this question, how has your year been as we take inventory on this year? It's important to stop sometimes and and, and to reflect, to remember to look back. How has this last year been for you? How has this last decade been for you? Heck, let's go all the way back. How's your life been? <laughs> How's it been? Um, how do you remember it? Maybe for a lot of us, it's been a tough year. Maybe for a lot of us, it's been a tough year. Maybe, maybe um, you have lost loved ones this year, like the Stevensons just did yesterday. Uh, people that you care deeply about are no longer with you. Um, maybe it's been a struggle for you in terms of relationships, uh, in terms of your husband, maybe your wife, your your kids. Maybe uh, maybe they've been strained this year. Maybe you've had an absolute falling out this year. It hasn't been a good year when 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 uh, you consider that. Maybe finances have been tough. Maybe maybe your health has been sort of rocky this year. You've always enjoyed pretty good health, and this year, for some reason, it just hasn't been there. Uh, it may have been a tough year. Some years are like that. And the Bible doesn't encourage us to pretend like things are ever different than they really are. If it's been a tough year, it's been a tough year. If you've lost loved ones, you've lost loved ones. If, if things have been rocky, things have been rocky. And we're not to be sort of Pollyanna-ish and, and just, you know, pretending, oh, let's not look at those negative things. No, they're there. And God calls us to be real before he calls us to be anything. But the word that the Lord would have for us would be this. 
As you remember the past, however tough it's been, whatever kind of struggle it's been, however painful it may have been this year, don't forget to remember the goodness of God. Remember the loving kindness of God throughout the year. Believers are to cultivate a mindset where we look, we look for opportunities to give God thanks, whatever it is that has come our way. And this isn't a prescription for being lolly lolly Pollyannish. It's, it's a matter of being real because what's real is that however bad it has been, God has been present and is good, He's good all the time. Amen? He's good all the time. The Bible says in John chapter 3 that we don't have anything that has not been given to us. Everything that we have, we, we, we didn't earn it, we didn't buy it in some pre-existent lifetime, we didn't have it owed to us when we came into this world. It all is a gift from God. And what is crucial, if we're to, if we're to be faithful... People of God, what is crucial is that we give God thanks for it. That we don't take it for granted, but rather notice it. Take time here at the end of this millennium. Take time to notice all the ways in which you have been blessed. The devil would want you to focus on the five things that happened that, that were horrendous or bad or the things that you're missing. But the Lord would say, while you acknowledge that those things are there, remember to remember. Remember to remember the goodness of God for the blessings that you have in, in your life. Everything that we have is a gift from God. Every breath we breathe, think about this, is a breath that God gave you to breathe. Give God thanks for it. If you think two coherent, if you can think two or three coherent thoughts together, there are some people who are alive on this planet right now who can't do that. Give God thanks for it. Give God thanks for your mind. Give God thanks for your breath. If you've got eyes that see, give God thanks for it. If you've got arms that can move, give God thanks for it. If you've got legs that can walk, give God thanks for it. If you've got a family uh, around you, you've got some time together, give God thanks for those moments. They are precious, and there's no guarantee about them. There's no guarantee with them. So remember to give God thanks for them while you have them there, because like that it can all change. Never take each other for granted. Don't take your kids for granted, your spouse for granted, your friends for granted. Notice them and give God thanks for them because they are a gift from God. They are a gift from God. Remember God's loving kindness and give God thanks for it. Do you have clothes? Did you have clothes to wear this year? Maybe they haven't been the top of the line clothes that some people wear, but they're better clothes than most people wear, so give God thanks for it. Did you have food on your table? Maybe it wasn't gourmet food like some people can eat, but it's better food than most people eat. Remember to give God thanks for it. As you look back on the past, however, however difficult it's been, find the reasons to give God thanks, and they are all over the place. They are everywhere. We are surrounded by them. It so touched me yesterday as I was in the hospital room with Harry, and just going through this nightmare that we're going through. In the middle of all this, Harry's a man of God, and and he, he, he uttered this. And this is, I think, just a beautiful perspective. He said, Lord, I am, my heart is so grieving. But I want to thank you for the privilege of having 13 years to raise this young boy. I thank you for the 13 years that we had with him. They were a gift from you. And it would be easy to be bitter about the fact that Matthew didn't live as long as most people are supposed to live. But he had 13 years, and that was a gift from God, and it's 12 more than one year. So give God thanks for the time that you had together. Give God thanks. Find reasons to give Him praise. Maybe as you look back on this year, it's tough not so much because of things that happened to you, but maybe it's tough because of things that you yourself did. 
Or you look back in this last decade and it's tough for things that you did, mistakes that you made, things that you said, relationships that you let slide, negligence or whatever. I don't think it's possible to be a self-aware human being in a fallen world such as we live, with fallen nature such as we struggle with, and not have, let's be honest here, not have some regrets. Not have some regrets. You know, you know what's the toughest thing about regrets? Is that you can't redo them. A lot of times. You know, you get, it, it's just the thing about life. It's a one-way river, and a lot of times you got one shot. And it takes you about five shots just to figure out how you're supposed to make the one, and by then it's too late. Isn't it? You know, it's, it's, uh, I look back, I've got regrets. Oh, I, I, I can't believe I didn't do some of the things I didn't do and did do some of the things I did do, and I wish I could do it ever, all over again, but you can't. You can't. You see, the devil maybe would, would try to jump on some of that, and he wants you to remember this stuff, but he, re, he wants you to remember it for this reason. He wants to tear you down. Keep on reminding you, pouring salt on a wound. Look at how you failed. Look at how you failed. And the reality is that some of the things we do can't be, can't be brought back. You, you can't turn back the hands of time. You can't uh, unscramble scrambled eggs. And, and sometimes we do things that have long-term consequences. It has pain. It causes pain. And, and you can't redo that. So the devil will jump on it and, and, and make you feel like you've committed the unforgivable sin. The Bible doesn't tell us that we should try to minimize the faults that we do or try to pretend that they didn't happen, be Pollyannish about it. The Bible, the Bible deals with one commodity, and that is reality. No, it, 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 it did happen, and maybe it was just as bad as you remember it happening. But when you remember it, as you look back on it, remember it, but remember also this. Remember the goodness of God. Remember the goodness, the abundant loving kindness of God. And here's the difference it makes. It puts a total different frame around the regrets. It has a total, it puts neon signs around it in a different way. It highlights a different thing. As you remember the past failing that maybe you had this year or had in a previous year, the consequences maybe are still going on and you can't unscramble the scrambled eggs. Remember that it's God's grace. It's the goodness of God. It's the outlandish, beautiful, uncompromising goodness and grace of God that led Jesus Christ to be born in that manger on that first Christmas morning, that led Jesus Christ to die on the cross of Calvary. Why? So that we could be forgiven, praise God. So that we could be washed whiter than snow. The most beautiful, the most beautiful aspect, I think, the most supernatural <coughs> aspect of the grace of God, I believe, is this. That while there are things that we can't change, that we can't redo, we can't turn back the hands of time, mistakes are made and the consequences move on. We can't do a thing about it, but it's God's supernatural grace that flows from the cross, cross of Calvary that is able to, in spite of all of that, wash us whiter than snow, to get us right with God. So there is no charge laid against God's elect. That's the goodness of God. And it's crucial that you remember it. Remember the goodness of God and receive from God that, that perfect forgiveness. Remember the goodness of God and remember then to forgive yourself for the wrongs that have been done. Remember the goodness of God and then forgive others in the light of that forgiveness. Don't go into this next millennium carrying the same old garbage and baggage and account of wrongs done that you have done or wrongs that have been done to you. Wipe the slate clean. And you can, you're empowered to in the light of the goodness of God. It is the goodness and the grace of God that, that makes 
irreparable wrongs done as though they had not been. Praise God. That's the goodness of God. Another area of the goodness of God it's important to remember as you look back on things that maybe now you regret, things that you said that you can't now take back, things that you did that you can't undo. As you remember those, here's another frame around it. Here's the perspective. Remember that in all things, at all times, without exception, God is present working to bring good even out of evil. God was there in the abortion. God was there uh, in the negligence. God was there when you didn't do your duty. God, God was present there, not willing it, but willing through it. He wills to bring some good out of it. And so now as you remember, if you look for it, if you put on the right spectacles, the spectacles of gratitude, as you look at it and remember the goodness of God, you will see, if you'll but look for it, the hand of God weaving something beautiful even out of the most atrocious Mistakes that we have made. As you look back on, 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 on some of the unfortunate things that you have done or have been done to you, you'll see the hand of God. It's ugly in and of itself, but God is saying, I can use it to weave something beautiful into your life. He's making us, He's making a tapestry out of our life. He's making a symphony out of our life. And everything that we do becomes part of the notes. And God is just genius enough to somehow masterly put it all together to the point where if you will let Him, if you put on the right spectacles and don't let the devil drive bitterness and self-condemnation into your heart as you look back on it, you give God thanks even for the mistakes. You're not glad that they occurred, but you're glad for what God can do given the fact that they occurred. And so the heart of the believer, believers, it, it, it should be this that we have a heart that is grateful for every single thing. We look back and says, Lord, you are so good. You are so good. Your love is good. Your mercy is wonderful. For he is good and beautiful. His love is great. He's so marvelous, my Lord, we sing about. And it is true. Cultivate the kind of heart that, give, that, that remembers to give God thanks for all the things that are around you. Live life with gratitude. It's the key to joy. It's the key to happiness. An ungrateful person is a miserable person. The attitude towards the past should be one of gratitude. Yes, bad things happen. Tough things happen. Wrong things happen. But in it all, God is good. God is good forgiving. God is good weaving good out of evil. God is good blessing in the midst of, of uh, whatever situation we're a part of. Let's talk about the future. What should the believer's attitude be towards the future? Here again, in the same way that what happened in the past isn't nearly as important as how you remember the past, so also what will happen in the future isn't nearly as important as how do you anticipate what will happen in the future. People divide into different groups. There are some who specialize in rehearsing in their brain over and over again every possible worst-case scenario you can imagine. There's the future. No one knows what the future holds, so let's anticipate it. And what they run, the movies, the videos that they run in their mind about the future is negativity. The worst thing that could possibly happen. And so that's what's real to them. That's what's in the forefront of their, their, their mind. They know that good things could also happen, but what's going to get the neon sign? What's going to get emphasized? This is their perspective. This determines the colored glasses that they wear. Uh, what, what they see is the worst case scenario. So the people, it's kind of like they say, you know, um, why should we wait for the future to bring disaster? Let's start experiencing right here and now, you know. Why wait? And so they live in that reality. That's what worry is. Worry is just, 
experiencing the pain of the worst possible case scenarios ahead of time. You know, and so they, they live in their reality. And they tend to be negative people. They tend to be miserable people. They tend to be fearful people. Others, however, have a different way of looking at the future. They are just as ignorant about the future as the first group is. But they, they, they see the future in terms of possibilities. Positive things that might happen. They know that negative things might happen as well, and they're aware of that. But what gets the neon sign, what gets emphasized, what gets allowed, given the authority to interpret life, are the possibilities that are out there. So the question I want to ask here is this. What, what does the future hold for us, and what should our perspective of it be? It's an important question for us right now, because in six days, no one knows what's going to happen. I mean, all uh, perdition could break loose. Uh, you know, it's really interesting. We are uh, uh, Historically, there have been very few people that have ever lived that have been in just the situation that we're in, the turn of a millennium. And we're the first group of people that have ever been on the turn of a millennium when they've had computers to worry about. Uh, I don't know if we've heard the last of this Y2K problem. You know, I don't know. I suspect there'll be a little burp, a little glitch, a little nothing much of anything, but no one knows for sure. But even beyond that, no one knows what six days will hold in terms of terrorism. There's a lot of worry about terrorist threats right now. And I've always thought that was by far the, the, the more serious problem to confront at the turn of the millennium. People who want to try to uh, help the apocalypse along by trying to start some kind of cataclysmic thing going or, or whatnot. Uh, who knows what, 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 what the future holds with that? We don't know. It's going to be really interesting. I wouldn't want to be in Times Square uh, trying to find out. I'll be right at home in my living room. Thank you very much. But it, it's, it's a mystery. We don't know. But even beyond that, even beyond what this uh, January 1st might hold, what does the next year hold for you personally? What does it hold for me personally? And the answer is, uh, it really is, I, I, no one has a clue. No one has a clue. Um, Will, will it be a good year for you, a bad year for you? Are you going to be safe? Is your family going to be safe? Is your health going to be there? Is your finances going to be there? Are relationships going to be there? Uh, what does it hold? Uh, you just don't know. And right now, what I'm experiencing, I, I, I just am so acutely aware uh, of, of, of the fact that we all skate on very thin ice, don't we? In fact, it's cracking thin ice, and I'm not trying to freak any of us out, but this is what's real. Uh, like that, life can change. Like that, life can change. Uh, it, it just it is, is uh, mind-boggling. I don't know what it holds for me personally. I don't know what it holds for you personally. I don't know what it holds for the church. It's all a big question mark. And I don't know what it holds uh, for, the, for the world. Do you? I mean, um, what will the next year, what will the next decade, what will the next century, what will the next millennium bring uh, to the world as a whole, to our nation as a whole? Nobody knows. I know this, that there are some things that are set in motion right now, which if I wasn't a believer, I'd really be worried about. Man, the world's getting, the world's getting very weird. It's picking up speed. It's changing so fast. It just blows you away how fast it's changing. And some of the things that it's changing into are not very encouraging. Some of them are positively frightful. We've now lost the distinction for all intents and purposes between science and science fiction. Uh, some of the stuff that's going on in genetics is just... Scary. There's some positive things that could come from it. But when people start playing God, we are in trouble. And they're growing ears and noses on the backs of pigs and rats. You know that? 
uh, with, with all their genetic engineering. It's like something you'd see out of an Orwellian movie or something. It, it's, it's bizarre. There are people who are fighting over having patents for organ farms over in Europe where they're going to grow bodies without heads so they can farm out these organs to, to different people. Uh, get a picture of that in your head. Now, there's some good things that can come of it, but there's also some real frightful implications of all this. We are, we are uh, just months away, um, at the most several years away, from completing a mapping of the human DNA on computers. And this is the same kind of mapping that's allowed us to clone animals. And, of course, we're saying, well, we'll never clone human beings. But never once in the history of humanity have we ever had the power to do something that we didn't end up doing. We can't resist it. It's that tree of knowledge of good and evil. We just got to try it. And you know it's just a matter of time. And what is going to happen? Now, what are the implications of this? I don't know. You don't know. We're moving into a scary millennium. The implications of the Internet, this information revolution that we are just now at the beginning stages of. Some are saying that within 20 years, the face of humanity is going to look radically different than it does right now. People become more isolated. They relate to one another via this computer. Virtual reality is becoming more common than re real reality. For some people, the only window they have to the outside world is the window to the virtual world via the Internet. It's becoming more so. What are the implications of the, the, the dissemination of destructive information via the Internet? What's the implications of the, the dissemination of sin and the availability of sin, grotesque sin, to the, in the hands of our, 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 our juveniles um, as a result of the Internet? We don't know what the, the full ramifications of this are. It may be that we're seeing some of the beginnings of the ramifications of some of the killings that are going on in our school. I don't know, but it's, it's scary. A lot of it is scary. Just the general erosion of morals in our culture. You, the stuff you see on primetime TV, adults had to pay for in the 70s. I mean, uh, there's a downsizing of morality, a downsizing of decency that is going on. If you look at how far we have come in 30 years, and that's, it's fast, how far we have come, you wonder how, how much farther can we sink. I don't know what the future holds. You don't know what the future holds. But I know this. My gut feeling is that if God is to tolerate this for too awfully much longer, He's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't think this can go on that much longer like this. I don't believe it. The course that we're going, the direction that we're going, and the speed that we're going in, um, there's just a lot of things that tell me that, that, this, that, that we could be in the final shift. This, in the, we could be in the final chapter. The of the consummation of the ages is at hand. You look at some of the funky things that nature is doing right now. Uh, and this is, this is objective, demonstrable stuff. This isn't a subjective little perception thing here. But the, the, the Venezuela mudslide that they estimate killed some 20,000 people. The 40,000 plus that were killed in Turkey a short while ago because of the earthquakes. I mean, have you noticed, have you paid attention to how many people are dying as a result of natural disasters? It's, it's been amazing. Three times as many people have died in the 90s at the hands of nature as died in the 80s. Something is going on. It's, the world is, nature is, is, is going through an upheaval now. And many people believe that that is uh, a sign of the times. I don't know. I don't know what the future holds, but I know this. If I didn't know Jesus Christ, I'd be very worried about things. I'd be very nervous about things. But I thank God that while I don't know what the future holds, I do know and you know the one who holds the future. Amen? Amen. I know a God. Hallelujah. He's in control. He's sovereign. I know the one who said, don't let your heart be troubled. This is the perspective that believers ought to have on the future. 
I don't know what the short-term future holds. I don't know. I, can't, I wish I could give everyone a ticket here this morning that would just say, guaranteed, one year of, of, without any major problems, one year without any kind of uh, catastrophe. I wish I could do that, but I can't. It's not my card to play. But I can, do, I can tell you this. I don't know the short-term future, but I do know the long-term future, and it may not even be that long. And what I know for sure is this. It's in God's hands, praise God. And He is steering even right now. This is such good news, you guys. He is steering history towards His desired end, praise God. He's disappointed in some of the stuff that's going on with humanity right now, but he's not caught off guard. He's seen it before with Sodom and Gomorrah. He's seen it before with uh, before the flood. He's been around the block a couple of times. This isn't catching him off guard. He knows what's going on, and he knows the goal that he's going to. And the promise of the Word of God, the good news of the Word of God, and it's all about the future is this. He went away to prepare a place for us that where, we, that where He is, we may also dwell. And He's coming back for us. Praise God. He's coming back for us. Therefore, we are not to let our hearts be troubled. Therefore, whatever comes our way, we are to have that peace that He gives us. Therefore, we're to have this hope that there's coming a time. And right now, this is just such good news for me. Uh, right, there's coming a time where He will come back. And all that is contrary to His will, all that is against His will, everything that does not line up with His will will be done away with. And He is going to establish His kingdom. Amen. He is going to reign forever. Amen. His love is going to radiate throughout the cosmos. Amen. He's going to establish His kingdom, the Bible says. And His love and His joy and His peace will be the air that we breathe. And when that time comes, I want to tell you, friend, there's not going to be any more 13-year-old kids getting killed in car wrecks. When he, when he comes and establishes His kingdom, you're not going to be dealing with the cancer that you're dealing with or the diseases that you have to struggle with or the rebellion that you have to struggle with. When He comes and sets up His kingdom, praise God, then finally, then finally the creation will be what the creation was always meant to be. A display, a glorious display of His love, of His power, of His grace as He reigns with His bride. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I long for that day, Lord Jesus. Set up your kingdom, Lord Jesus. The attitude of the believer as we look at the past ought to be one of sheer gratitude. The attitude of the believer as we look to the future ought to be one. We're not, we're not little Pollyanna, naive Barbie dolls who say, oh, nothing bad is ever going to happen. You know what? It can get nightmarish here in this war zone. But our attitude nonetheless should be one of confidence and peace and assurance. If not, yes, it should be excitement. I want the Lord to come back. I want to see Him reign. I look forward to Him restoring His kingdom on this earth. Praise God. Finally, I want to close by saying a word about the present. And this is the most important word to say. Because this is where we live. The past is gone. The future is not here yet. We live in the now. This millisecond now. And what should our perspective be of the now? What should our perspective be of the now? And here also, in just the same way that what happened in the past isn't nearly as important as how you remember the past, and what's going to happen in the future isn't nearly as important as how you anticipate what's going to happen in the future. So also, in the now, in the present, what is real in your present isn't nearly as important as how do you respond to what is real. And the Bible gives us a very straightforward prescription. Here are the spectacles that we're to wear as we deal with the present. Abide in love. As John says, abide in love. The word abide means to live in, to live in, to dwell in. Love is not to be the garage on our house that we go to once in a while when it's convenient. 
We are to live in this thing called love, and then God will live in us. Live there. Make this your permanent dwelling place, love. It means this. And this is, I wanted to end out the millennium with this word because this is the most important word. It means this. In every situation, in every circumstance, under all conditions, with regard to every single person you could possibly ever meet, there's only one thing that is required of you, and that is that you love. That you love them with the love that Jesus Christ has for them. The Christian life, when you boil it down, is profoundly simple. In every situation, you, you never have to ask the question, should I love this person? You never have to worry about it. There's no questions here. This is the given. In all situations, under all circumstances, in any, under any conditions, with regard to all people, you're called upon and you're empowered to love them with the love of Jesus Christ. That is to be our present. It means this, that when you are confronted, as you may be this afternoon or sometime this week, with that person that morally repulses you, the things that they say and maybe the way that they look and the lifestyle that they live, as far as you're concerned, every problem in the world is because of people like this. They morally repulse you. Maybe they sicken you. And the flesh, when you confront a person like this, a flesh wants to immediately kick into that internal commentary that pronounces judgment on them. Well, and you have that commentary going on. Maybe you don't say it. Maybe you actually treat them courteous. But inside, you've got judgments going on all over the place. And you're sure, sure are glad that you're not one of them. What you need to hear this morning from the Word of God is this. God is telling you that all of that is entirely unnecessary. In fact, it's not even welcomed. We are to shut down that internal commentary because there's one question that, that, that is needful and that is this question and the question only. How can I love this person right here and right now? How can I love them as Jesus Christ loves them? God did not save us and call us and give us the vocation of being little judgment givers. That's not our role. That's His role and He'll do very fine at it. Thank you very much. Our role, our one role, is to be Jesus' lovers. Jesus' lovers, right here and right now, with regard to that person, that person, that person, that person, that person, and yes, even that person, we're called to love. That's the only thing. In every situation, under all conditions, with regard to every single person that we ever could have come in contact with, to love them with the love of Jesus Christ. It means that when you are this afternoon at your in-laws and they begin it again. They come at you and they start criticizing the way you do your kids or the way that you do your marriage or the way you do your turkey. You do your hair. Uh, you know, or maybe it's the boss that starts criticizing you or maybe it's a colleague or maybe it's a friend and the flesh all of a sudden wants to kick into being Mr. Right, Mr. You know, self-defense, Mr. Justify Myself. Know this. The Bible doesn't call you to justify yourself. It calls you to love. It calls you to first and foremost. The heart that drives you, the passion that leads you on. It's got to be one of Christ's love. The question is, how can I love these people as they're criticizing me? How can I uh, love these people as I, I know I want to fight? I'm, I'm, I'm going to love instead. It's the one question that's worth asking. And when you hear about the person who maybe doesn't have enough to eat or doesn't have a place to live or doesn't have enough money to buy their kids any Christmas presents or what have you, and the flesh would want to say, you know what, that's not my problem. i got my own problems. they got their problems. You know, don't bother me with it. The flesh wants to be apathetic to, towards those who are in need. We are to hear the Word of God, which tells us that in all situations with regard to all people, we are to love. We are to love. It's so profoundly simple. Distill it down 
So it's, it, 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 it's its most central point, and what it's about is love, right here and right now. Now, this isn't a matter of being Pollyanna-ish and saying, oh, you know, life is just so wonderful and everyone's lovely. No, they're not. You, you, you meet people, all sorts of people, most people, in fact, that aren't very lovable. And sometimes loving another person means positively crucifying yourself, just like Jesus did. It means crucifying the flesh, crucifying your apathy, crucifying your self-justifying uh, mentality, crucifying your moral judgmentalism. But that is what we're called to do, and that's what we're empowered to do. And when we do it, we find a kind of freedom that we never otherwise would find. Commit your life, as we're ending out this decade, going to the next one, to be a lover of Jesus Christ. At all times, you will, I have just been amazed in my own life how much internal talk I have going on about people. I, I, make all sorts, I, have, I form opinions all, of, all the time. You know what? God never gave me the right to do that. Uh, that's not a, a thing I'm supposed to be doing. My job, it's very singular, very simple. How can I love this person? How can I love this person? How can I just somehow hear a word, a gesture, a touch, uh, an embrace, uh, something? How can I communicate something of love towards them? When they cut you off on the freeway, your job is to love them. Amen. At all times and all situations. Greg and Norm, would you come up? I want to close with a song here. At all times and all situations with regard to all people, it's profoundly simple. How can I love with the love of Jesus Christ? Let me say this in, in, in closing. Uh, we've talked about the past, the future, and the present. And I want to just say with regard to uh, the church of Woodland Hills, um, I, th- I, I thank God for our past. I am grateful. I am, I am profoundly grateful for each one of you uh, and for all that God has done here at the church. I am a blessed man. I really am a blessed man. Um, I know a lot of pastors who are involved in ministries, and it's not always very pleasant. Uh, but you know what? It's an honor to serve you. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I, I know I speak on behalf of the whole pastoral staff. We so much appreciate you. We're grateful. We really are grateful. With regard to the future... Uh, I'm, I'm so confident of what God's going to do. I'm excited about the future. Don't know a whole lot about it, but I know the God that we serve. And I know the plans that he has for this place. And they're very exciting. And I, I, I encourage you to join in on that and believe God for the future. And in the now, right here and right now, just want to say on behalf of all the, the pastoral staff that we love you very, very much. Uh, you're very dear to us. We just love the Lord and love you and love all that God is doing here. Our heart really is filled with gratitude, it's filled with excitement, and it's filled with love. And uh, to have that is to have as much as any person could ever ask for in life. I want to close by singing this song um, that we sang earlier, Worship God with it. In the battles, Lord, you are my strength. We are going to face battles. We're always in battles. We need to look to Him for our strength. In the midst of those battles, we declare the goodness of God. For He is great and wonderful. His love is great. He's so wonderful, my Lord. Let's stand and sing it in the battles, Lord. Can we get the uh, overheads going? Worship the Lord with all that is within you. Let's close off this year just proclaiming this truth. This song is packed with truth. Praise God. Sing it to the Lord. In the battles, Lord. You are my peace. And when I'm broken, Lord, you are my strength. You're my strength. You're my love. You're my life. 
You're my joy, my song in the night. How I marvel at your mercy, and I sing, I sing praise, praise to the He's so 